Well, good morning, everyone. I'm thrilled to be asked today to speak on a huge subject. The title for today's talk is this, Hope, God Can Change a Nation. Hope, God Can Change a Nation. When we think of our nation, we think of the nations of the world. As Christians, our heart aches and longs for God to move in power to reveal Jesus to countless millions of people. And there are times, aren't there, when we just think, God, how are we going to see change happen? How are we going to see breakthrough? When Jesus left his disciples as he ascended into glory, he said this to them. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which was where they were living, in Judea, which is the surrounding area, in Samaria, which is the next nation, and to the ends of the earth. He spoke of them bringing about nationwide, worldwide change. This group of quite an odd bunch of guys and girls who ended up in an upper room waiting for this power to come. Jesus said, I'm going to use you. And he actually mentioned, as I say, Samaria as a particular nation. Now, the thing is that Jesus set the disciples so many brilliant examples of how his mission goes to people. And we're today going to look at a particular moment when this happens in John chapter 4. So if you've got your Bible, please turn to John chapter 4. We're going to be reading such a heartwarming account of how Jesus brings about citywide change, having just one conversation with one individual. I'm going to read a few verses from verse 39 of John chapter 4. And we're then going to talk through what's been happening before this point. But let's read these together. John 4 verse 39. Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, We no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the saviour of the world. Now let me ask you, how can a nation be changed? What kind of event needs to happen to bring change to a whole nation? Well, you might say we're in a nation-defining, nation-changing moment right now. A pandemic changes a nation. You think of wars and conflicts. They change a nation. They leave indelible scars upon a nation. You think of mass injustices. You think of genocide. You think of all the atrocities of the previous century and so many which continue and carry on today nation-changing moments. How do you see in crisis and turmoil good come through it? Right now we're hoping and longing for a vaccine. If we get our vaccine we will begin to return to some kind of normality. We're waiting for the vaccine to come. We have a hope that it will come before Christmas. Please Lord, we want that to happen. If you're in a war, you hope for peace. If you are suffering from genocide and the atrocities of that or of racism or slave trading, 
you're hoping for justice. When you're experiencing famine, drought, you hope for rain. Now those kind of hopes, when they're realized, when justice comes where there's been genocide, where a vaccine comes where there's been a pandemic, when rain comes when there's been a famine, when those hopes are realized, how permanent is the comfort and the security that they bring? We might receive a vaccine, I hope we will, but does it protect us from all future viruses? We hope that justice comes where there's injustice, but does that mean that we're protected from all future injustices and atrocities? When peace comes where there's been war, we celebrate peace. But does that mean there'll be no further conflicts or wars? Is there an ultimate peace? Is there an ultimate hope? That's what Jesus brings. I want us just to look at a clip from a famous speech. I'm sure you've seen it before. This speech was taken during a time of great injustice and intolerance. It was a nation-changing moment. Many would say it was a world-changing moment. Let's look at it together. happy to join with you today in what will go down in history as the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. This nation will rise up live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood because I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted and every hill and mountain shall be made low the rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together this will be the day when all of God's children will be able to sing with new meaning my country tears of thee sweet land of liberty of thee I sing Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride. From every mountainside, let freedom reign. What an inspiring speech that was. I've seen it hundreds of times. Every time I watch it, just feel overwhelmed by the sense of the power of the moment as Martin Luther King spoke out against the atrocities of racism 
For some of you who've experienced racism, it must be especially powerful hearing him making a stand for justice, for equality. Martin Luther King's dream resulted in civil rights for black people in America. But what clearly it hasn't achieved yet is the end of racism, the eradication of that evil and of that hatred. He had a dream, he had a hope, and much was achieved in the decades afterwards, but still today on our news, we're seeing the issues remaining. Now, what can change a nation so deeply, so thoroughly, that not only do we find equality and justice for all people, but we find true love, brotherhood, companionship, being together in a fierce bond of friendship. What a dream, what a hope that would be. Jesus shows us how this is possible in this passage that we're looking at today. Now, I want to start in verse 27, actually, not the passage that I read out, because it's so important that we set the scene for how it was this whole town came to be with Jesus, how it was this whole town came to say he really is the saviour of the world. It all started in chapter 4, where Jesus encounters this woman at a well. We know as we read through the context of this passage that this woman was there at a time of day when no one else was because it would seem that she was an outcast in her society, that she was someone that people didn't want to be with. She was someone with a reputation. But it says Jesus had to be there at that particular moment. He had to be there because he wanted to meet this woman. He wanted to love her. He wanted to establish her in a right relationship with God. And as the conversation goes on between this woman who's stunned that he's speaking to her in the first place, we find him drawing her ever closer. He says to her, woman, if you knew it was who was asking you for a drink, you'd ask him and he'd give you a fountain of living water. She's fascinated by this. She's intrigued by Jesus and and by how he's talking to her. Give me this drink, she asks him. And then Jesus drops an absolute clangor when he says to her, go and get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, no, you're right, you've had five. And the guy that you're with at the moment is not your husband. Suddenly it becomes clear to her that this man she was talking to was extraordinary. She says, clearly you're a prophet. And then what happens in this dialogue is the conversation gets quite theological. She's a Samaritan. Jesus is a Jew. The Samaritans had a particular understanding of what worship is about, which was quite different to the, to the Jews. And she's like, where do we worship? Do we worship in the mountain or do we worship in the temple like the Jews do? And what, what follows is that Jesus gives this woman the most profound insight into the nature of worship. He says to her, truly, let me just quote it exactly for you. He says to her, an hour is coming and is now here in verse 23, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Now listen, this is the most profound revelation. 
Jesus is saying to her that actually the location of where worship takes place is not the issue. Rather, what worship is, is it's of the Father by the Spirit and truth. We know that Jesus is the truth. We know that the Holy Spirit is the spirit that enables this worship. And the goal is to come to the Father. And Jesus says to her, the Father is seeking out worshippers. What we find is Jesus is seeking her out. Despite all of her baggage, despite her past and despite her reputation, Jesus wants her, the Father wants her to worship. Do you know that's true for you? The Father is seeking worshippers. Jesus is seeking worshippers for the Father. So in our hearts, as the Spirit of God starts to stir us, we're drawn into the very presence of God himself, as this woman here was. So in verse 27, we find that the disciples who've been out getting food for Jesus, they come back and in verse 27 it says this, just then his disciples arrived and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Men and women just didn't talk on their own in this day and age. It was a shocking thing. We have to also appreciate that women were not given the same rights and privileges as men. And a Samaritan woman at that. And a Samaritan woman with a reputation. So the disciples come back and they are shocked to see Jesus talking with her. They had a social system. They had, a, they had protocols which they stuck by, which Jesus was contravening. And here's what we have to understand. Jesus is not stuck by the systems of social protocol that you and I are. And one of the things that the disciples learned was Jesus was always smashing down walls in order to share the love of God with people, whether that's calling Zacchaeus, a despised tax collector down from the tree to have lunch with him, whether it was Jesus laying hands on lepers, or whether it was Jesus going out of his way to speak to a woman with a bad reputation to establish friendship with her, Jesus was prepared to do that in order to share God's love. There is nothing that need prevent you from enjoying friendship with Jesus. He goes after the lost sheep. He loves to draw those with the bad reputation. He's not worried about his own reputation. He's perfect and pure. He goes out after sinners. You see, the disciples saw the problem Jesus saw the person. What's going to bring change to our nation? What will bring change is when you and I stop seeing the problem in other people and start seeing the person. Let me give you an example of this. So I came from Portsmouth. We, as a family, moved from Portsmouth to be here. Now, Portsmouth is a colourful city of many different characters. One day, as a family, my wife and our kids, we went out to a park. Uh, we decided we would try a different park uh, to our usual one, and we arrived. And as we walked through the gate of this park, I saw a man sat on a bench with a tag around his ankle, drinking cider, staring at us. Now, I said to my wife, shall we find another park? 
She said, no, you need to man up. We've come here. You go and speak to him. So being far less intimidated than I am, uh, my wife, that is, I decided, okay, let's do this. Let's go and sit next to this guy. You see, I saw a problem to start with. Whereas this chap is a person who Jesus loves. So I go over and I sat on the bench next to him. And the first thing he says to me is this. All right, mate, have you ever been tagged? To which I said, no, not yet. And we continued to have a conversation and it became clear this was a man who was just broken from childhood. He spoke about his dad being in crime and how he followed his dad. And it just became so clear this man was broken and needed an encounter with Jesus. Jesus was willing to compromise his own reputation in order to reach the person. Jesus didn't just see the problem, he saw the person. You and I, if we're gonna see a nation changed, it will mean that we don't just walk away. It means that we don't just opt out when we see someone challenging. When you and I see the broken person, we like Jesus go out of our way to love them, to dignify them in the way in which he did. It's too easy just to leave the marginalized to their own margins, to leave them maligned in their own disconnect. To be like Jesus is to extend a hand of friendship. The disciples were shocked by this. Jesus was challenging their prejudices. The next thing I want us to, to see is in verse 28, it says the woman left her water jar and she went into the town and told the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And it says they left the town and made their way to him. This is amazing. She'd come up with the water jar to gather water. She'd met Jesus. She'd had an encounter with him. She was convinced by him that he is the Messiah, the Christ, the King that everyone's been waiting for. And it's an important piece of detail. She left her water jar and then she ran into town. She didn't want to be burdened or weighed down by anything. She was alive. She was riveted by this encounter with Jesus and she was desperate for others to hear about it. Um, a commentator called Bruner, he has this brilliant uh, observation he makes. He says this, she came for water, but she went home with the well. She came for water, she left with the well. This woman is so transformed by an encounter with Jesus she has to tell people about it. She runs into town. She runs to the very crowd of people that she'd been otherwise trying to avoid. She's got to tell them about Jesus. This is a transformed person, not judged by Jesus, not condemned by him, but loved. And it's like this well, which is overflowing from her, spilling out from her, this water that she's tasted of she's got to share with other people now this isn't oh i'm a christian does that mean i really have to tell my friends this isn't do i really have to tell people i go to church this is i found a gold mine and i want to share this with everyone that i encounter and so she runs into town she finds people in the town and she says this come see a man come and see Three simple words. 
It's so easy to be intimidated by the idea of sharing our faith as Christians. If you're not a Christian, you should hear this. As Christians, very often we're very scared by the thought of sharing our faith with others. We're afraid that we'll be judged, that we're afraid that we won't be liked. But when we allow the great thing that God's done in our hearts to overflow in the way that this woman has, actually sharing our faith is so simple. Come and see, come and see this one who's changed my life. That might be come and see by doing an alpha course, come and see by watching online church, come and see just by observing my life and how I live, come and see. It's not difficult to make that invitation. Her evangelism, if you like here, is very simple. Come and see a man. And the amazing thing is that they get up and they follow her. The crowd follows. They are so fascinated by her. So clearly transformed is, is this woman. So clearly changed that everyone is convinced something's happened here because this woman is not the woman we've known. Something's come over her and they go and they investigate. This is the power of a transformed life. How does Jesus do it? It's important to notice Jesus doesn't go right into the crowd initially. He doesn't find the biggest gathering, the biggest group and start preaching to them. Jesus reaches this town by first reaching an individual. He brings the transformation to a, a town by first transforming the heart of an individual. We have hope for this city, hope church. We have hope for this nation. We have hope for the nations of the world. And this is how Jesus models how you see a nation changed, by first loving the person in front of us. Who might that be for you? Who might it be for you to go and tell? What is the heavy water jar weighing you down that you need to cast aside that you might run with a light feet for the gospel and bring good news? Who can you say, come and see to? This is what this woman did. In 2 Corinthians 3 verse 3, it says this, you show that you are Christ's letter delivered by us, not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. As a Christian, do you know that you're a letter to be read by everyone? As this woman's letter was read, people saw she's met God. We've got to meet him too. And so they get up, they leave, and they follow. And the most amazing thing happens that we started out by reading. Many Samaritans believed in him because of what the woman said. And then they say to her, having met Jesus and having heard him and having had time with him, they say this to her, we no longer believe because of what you said since we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the savior of the world. They firstly believed on account of the transformed life of this woman, but that was not enough. They needed to meet Jesus themselves. They needed their own personal encounter. And so their belief matured. It matured into personal revelation having met Jesus. Let me ask you, have you met Jesus? Can you say like the Samaritans do here, we believe because we've met him. 
we know he's the savior of the world. This is really the account of the first major revival in the New Testament. And who was it that God used? In fact, it wasn't in this instance one of the apostles. It was the least likely person in the least likely town, in the least likely nation. And that's how God do, does it. He chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He uses weak men and women like me and, and like you. He wants to use you. He wants to use me. As we think of how we see a nation changed, our confidence rests not in human skill, not in human oration, not in the power and persuasion of my words or your words, not even in the brilliant technology and in online services which help us to encounter God. A nation changes through encounters with Jesus Christ. It starts with the one who shares it with the other, who shares it with the other. And we have this beautiful consequence of events that take place upon an encounter with Jesus Christ. He could have gone straight into the town. He could have done it differently. But instead, he chose to use this woman to bring about citywide change. When the Holy Spirit is upon us, he empowers us to be witnesses in Winchester, in Hampshire, in England, in Europe, to the ends of the earth. This great mission doesn't depend upon human wisdom, but on the power of the Holy Spirit and the faithfulness of God to his word and to his promise. Let me assure you all that we need we've received here in the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. And the power of these words is worked out through the precious Holy Spirit poured out upon us. I believe we're going to see this nation changed. This nation needs to change. We desperately want to see change happen. And I'm also convinced that this change is going to occur as you and as I say to those in our lives, come and see. When we see the person, not the problem, when we don't walk away from the challenge, but we sit down and we engage in conversation as we love and as we affirm in the way that Jesus did. Will you be that person? Will you go and affirm and love the marginalized and the maligned? Will you build bridges and not walls? Will you reach out to the lost like Jesus did? Will you be someone that shows grace where there is hurt? Will you invite people to come and see a man who's changed my life? You and I are all able to do that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you sent your son to seek and save the lost. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that through your death and resurrection, all that has stood between us and God has been dealt with. Reconciliation between man and God has been achieved by what you've done. I thank you that you model to us what it looks like to love the marginalized in our world. And indeed, Lord, that's each and every one of us who have been lost and far off, but we've been brought near because of the work of Jesus. And 
I pray help us as a church to be those that go out and say to many, come and see, come and see Jesus. Lord, let us have the joy and the delight of leading many to meet you. And I pray even today, even now, would you reveal yourself to people for the first time that many would say, now I know that he really is the saviour of the world because I've met him too. Father, I ask all of these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.